The Radical Secular, a podcast dedicated to the separation of church and state. For full video episodes, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show. My name is Christoph Defoe. I'm here with my friend. I'm Sean Prophet. Um, and we are going to talk to you today uh, a little bit about, um, or to each other and also to you, I guess, um, about free speech. And um, the First Amendment and uh, surrounding that, so um, certainly free speech, hate speech, uh, and things of that nature. Um, so I'm now going to, I guess, uh, my cat's here too. <laughs> um, but um, uh, so first of all, let me talk about my T-shirt. Let me just talk about my real quick. I'm going to talk about my T-shirt. So anyway, so this is, um, I'm here to piss off liberals as much as I'm here to piss off conservatives. I, I'm kidding. But this is a um, emblem from Mac V. Sog, which was a... Um, uh, Vietnam era sort of black ops operation operating in Cambodia and and um, and um, and Laos out of South Vietnam, um, and they were the most badass of the badass. Every kind of sort of modern military hardcore American sort of uh, you know commando sort of modeled off of this. Um, started by I think uh, uh, John F. Kennedy. So anyway, that's my T-shirt spiel for today. Um, I'm going to kick it over now to Sean, who also has an interesting T-shirt. Yeah, well, I figured since uh, uh, everybody probably already noticed, I have a Live Long and Prosper T-shirt. And uh, I figured since uh, Christoph started out our little T-shirt game, I might up the game a little bit on the Star Trek side. So uh, here we are. <laughs> and I love your I love your shirt. I mean, I think that uh, bottom line is, is that, you know, it's, it is interesting. Obviously, our special forces have been involved in some some pretty bad shit. But, uh, you know, at the same time, uh, if we are a powerful nation, we need to have a good defense. And uh, I think, you know, uh, our biggest problem, I think, with all of this has been leadership and corruption because, you know, our fighting men and women are, 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 you know, second to none. And uh, it's um, all of us sleep better at night because we have them. So I think that what we're all fighting for, I think I'm sure you agree, Christoph, is, is that we have, you know, the right leadership from the commander in chief because, then these, you know, uh, if there's integrity at the top, then these black ops programs and special ops programs are going to be doing good, not evil. So, you know, that's, that's exactly right. And, and, and I think that uh, to I, and, and again, here I might piss off some liberals, um, but, um, you know, you uh, it is a misunderstanding of human nature and the nature of our planet to think that um, we can just sort of fold ourselves into our into our into our own country and have our little defensive perimeter and leave it at that. I mean, and like again, uh, I, and I defend I defend uh, Obama on the drone program for the, in the same way. Like I am not a pacifist. There are really fucked up people out there that want us to fail, definitely. And 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 if there's no one there to defend us, um, and 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 by the way, let's talk about defending the principles that the United States is supposed to be about. Um, and we could talk about what that means, but certainly things like freedom, justice, like those things, freedom's not free. I know that's the most absurd thing to say. I, I, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Go it's, ahead, it's the topic of our show. We're talking about freedom of speech here. And we exactly. have freedom of speech if it wasn't defended by a large military, okay? There exactly. are many places in the world, I mean, just let's talk about China. I mean, China um, is famously uh, uh, censorious and uh, they crack down on the internet, they crack down on everything. They are um, a very brittle government, you know, and they, they, they cannot tolerate their, their citizens uh, having their own opinions. And, you know, even down to, you know, the social credit system where if you are observed to do to, to violate any rule or law or whatever, you cannot travel. You know, you, you, you might be fired from your job. There's, I mean, there's so many consequences there uh, to having a different opinion and they will surveil you. They will, you know, they will. So and it's not just China. I mean, Russia, it's it's North Korea. It's every dictatorship. You know, once the first thing they do is they shut down the press. They shut exactly. down uh, free, free speech, freedom of assembly, uh, freedom of worship, all of those things. They shut those things down. So. Uh, it, you know, it, it does. It's very important that we talk about free speech because um, it is one of our core rights that we have. And yet, absolutely, it still has a downside. So, 
you know? Absolutely. And, 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 that, and that's critical, I think, Sean, because, right, uh, like we liberal democracies, uh, you know, it's easy for us here in liberal democracies to forget, I think, some of the things that you just mentioned, right? We, we really do take them for granted. And, and, and we certainly, and this is, uh, I, I'm, I am a student of the military, of military history and military in general, but one thing that you read in pretty much every memoir um, certainly in the most recent wars is just come back and coming back to what they would call the world from wherever they are out there in the middle of some like just, you know, the really war zone, but a terrible, terrible place, right? And you come mm. back and you realize you look, they come off the plane and they're like, no one here even realizes there's a whole war going on out there, right? And so we live in this sort of beautiful, we're lucky, we're fortunate, and I, I wouldn't want to live mm. anywhere else, I, I, but uh, we, we are liberal and liberal democracies, but you know, it's really easy to become complacent, right? And sort of, uh, and next thing you know, we have a guy uh, running the country right now who is trying to shut down the, the press. I mean, doesn't have press briefings, right? Like, I mean, it has an actively hostile right. approach to the press and free speech. Right, well, and this is always one of the things that bothered me about the, uh, about the, the peace movement. I mean, I'm as liberal as they come. I don't want any wars to happen that don't need to happen, okay? I mean, exactly. I, I think that, you know, the, fact that that the, that saying. the Iraq war, the Vietnam war, were started, both started on false pretenses, you know, and, and there have been so many uh, times when, you know, the, uh, the government through its corruption and, you know, the military industrial complex has, you know, they want, they want to start wars so that they can make money. And that's, that, that's what it comes down to. But what I could not stand about what happened during the 1960s is that that morphed into this hostility to the soldiers to the point where these guys who are over there experiencing stuff that nobody in this country has ever experienced. Uh, suddenly they come back and they're being spat on, you know, by, by protesters exactly. and things like that. That I, it, never happened. It like it, and that's really, that's, yes, you're absolutely right, Sean. And, and, and it's so, it's appalling, on so many levels, um, I think that the main thing is just the privilege of having no idea. Like you're a college student in the sixties, right? You're privileged. You don't have to go to the fucking war and then you're going to spit on the poor people, right? Cause the poor kids went and fought that war, right? Oh yeah. That's who went and fought that war. That's who always fights those wars. And you're going to spit on them when they come back. They didn't go, they were drafted. They were drafted. Well, particularly now, because I mean, the draft, the draft actually did take a lot of middle-class and, and, and wealthy people. A lot of them found ways to get out of it. You know, they became conscious right. objectors or they went to Canada or they did whatever they did. But uh, once they abolished the draft, uh, they had to attract, they had to recruit talent uh, voluntarily. And most of the people who wanted to go were poor. Exactly. Because I mean, right? Because it's an opportunity for it's 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 a it's a, it's a space for opportunity, right? Um, it, you know, you can get the, you can get uh, your college paid for, you can get a mm -hmm. decent job, and I think for a lot of people, so years ago, uh, um, uh, years and years ago, I uh, I spent a lot of time around uh, guys. I was in a halfway house for a lot of reasons that we can get into at a different time. This is when I'm my very early years. I was 18, 19 years old, and you know, I spent a lot of time at that time around guys had like gotten just out of gotten out of prison, like right out of prison. Right. And one guy that I spent time with, I became very friendly with him and his name was Ben. I won't say his last name, but you know, he was a, a former Marine and he got discharged from the Marine Corps first for striking a staff officer. And he ended up having a drug problem and all this kind of stuff. But my point is that he would always say, and he came from a very, very, very poor neighborhood in Camden. And he was, he and his, brother were drug dealers and they ran a block, right? Mm -hmm. And he eventually got in trouble, da, 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 da. But what he always remembers is that when he went to the military, he, his family was proud of him, right? Like, it, it's like he, he wasn't just some guy on the block anymore. He had the uniform, he had the honor, right? It meant something, right? And I think that is what can draw people into the military at this point. Poor people, mm -hmm. people that with not a lot of opportunity, um, you get that two thing, you get basically, you get paid, and you get like, and you also, but you also get respect, you know? Right. And I think, I think that ever since, I mean, even, even during the Iraq war, you know, uh, even though there was a lot of liberals who were very, very upset about the Iraq war, with, right, rightfully so, uh, uh, there was still, you know, the same person would have a peace sticker and they would also have support our troops on there. Exactly. And I think that, I think that the stuff that happened in Vietnam was, was, uh, you know, that, that, I think that's kind of over now that people yeah. understand that it's an honorable profession and, and, and it always should be. 
uh, which Absolutely. makes the commander in chief that much more important. You can't have <laughs> exactly, <that> exactly. <laughs> um, uh, and like we're talking about to, to bring it back to like you know the the rights, right? The the rights, the rights that we have that they are defending, that we are like they are the tip of the spear of defending those rights, right? Um, and yeah. uh, and that's critical, and that's critical. Well, and, and 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 in terms of free speech, I mean, they're fighting under the American flag partially for people's right to burn the American flag if they want. Yes, to. exactly. Which is, exactly. you know, uh, exactly. I've always, you know, irony. that's, that's, I've heard from a lot of, uh, you know, you get these people, these Trump supporters or whatever into a Facebook discussion and they're like, Oh, you know, these people are burning the flag. It's like, what do you mean? And they were in the military, of course. I'm like, you do realize that you fought for that. Right. Don't you? You know, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I think that's really interesting, right? Because a good, perhaps a good way to, 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 to cut into the, the, the sort of uh, free First Amendment free speech sort of issue. And that is, and, and, and we're going to talk about, I think, maybe a couple Supreme Court cases, but I think what I want to just briefly talk about is Brandenburg uh, versus Ohio. And that was a case in which um, a KKK uh, member uh, sort of, uh, in fact, I'll just read it right now for you. Uh, the Brandenburg uh, test was established in Brandenburg versus Ohio to determine when inflammatory speech intending to advocate illegal action can be restricted. And um, I bring this up because um, it, it is because in that particular case, um, the, uh, the, the sort of rhetoric was, was to go and do something dangerous to black people or whatever. And it was after a bunch of slurs and all horrible stuff. But the point was that it wasn't imminent. So he wasn't saying, let's go burn a black people's house right now. Here we go, here are the torches, let's go do it. He was saying, let's at some point in the near future burn, maybe we should burn down some houses. And so the Brandenburg test has established that the speech must be be restricted must be directed to inciting or producing imminent lawless action and the speech must be likely to incite or produce such action and so things that don't fall under that are most hate speech um most hate speech um but also um and i think another sort of uh, qualification there is something called um fighting words and we can talk a little bit more about that but i just want to get your 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 sort of your maybe your initial thoughts sean on this well, I, I, you know, <clears throat> let's just say that um, hate speech has been, um, I mean, a law like that, that's a very high bar to really in terms of anything like that. And even so, like the most uh, open forms of hate speech that used to be said, like the N-word or whatever, uh, you know, go back to your country, those kind of things. I mean, you still see that in video. There's, there's all these videos circulating where people are saying the outright, you know, uh, racist speech, you know, tell, uh, telling people to go back to their country. And sometimes they get slapped or punched or kicked. And, um, you know, it, it, what ends up happening there is that you've had, uh, you've had a, a white person commit a clear violation, uh, if not the law of certainly of norms or whatever it is. But then when the person responds by slapping them or, or, or hitting them or kicking them, or beating them up, uh, that person is now subject to prosecution for assault and battery. So you have this really unequal playing field where when it comes to speech, and that's what makes the whole thing so tricky, is everybody wants to have their ability to say whatever they want, um, and, and they don't want consequences, and they, and, they, and they want to be able to prosecute somebody if they, if they you know, beat them up for using fighting words. So I, where, how, how does this get resolved? This is, this is, man, this is, and this is so tough. And I, I like to preface all this by saying I am a lawyer, but I'm not a first amendment or, or, or constitutional lawyer. I'm a labor and employment lawyer, but still, um, I'd like to start, I think, by briefly recounting uh, an experience that I had with fighting words, because right, fighting words is basically, um, fighting words exception to the first amendment is essentially, um, it's, 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 related to the sort of imminency of the Brandenburg test. And that is like, that is that, right. If, if someone comes up to me and says, uh, in fact, I'll just tell the story because it's a perfect illustration of the fighting words problem. So uh, my friend, uh, my friend, Jeff and I uh, were at a bar uh, downtown Jersey city uh, in 2017. So after the election, um, uh, after the 2016 election, and uh, we were watching a Rangers hockey game, just whatever, just joking, whatever, drinking. We got in there pretty early. Guy came, uh, some drunk white guy, uh, very preppy looking. I mean, like fits the profile of like the typical person who says this sort of thing. With the fashion haircut and everything. <laughs> oh yeah, the whole thing. You know, the whole thing. Like, you know, salmon colored everything, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know so, so this guy, you know, he comes up to our table and he's like, 
he starts asking me questions like, where do I work? Like, where do I live? And, and, and these questions seem innocuous and I get it. But this, but this is always how these conversations begin. They always begin with these seemingly innocuous questions that are really trying to get at like me and like, why, why do I talk the way I talk? Why do I believe, you know, anyway, so we finally just shoot him away and he was wasted, you know, but like now fast forward two hours, three hours and game's over. Jeff and I are walking down the street. This same guy shows up out of the dark and he comes up next to me, like right up in my face like this. And he's just like, he's like talking about how Jersey city used to be this and that. And like, where do you live? And why are you here? And all this stuff. And I was just like, man, just get away from me. And then he said, all right, fuck you N word. And then I, those were fighting words, my friends. Those were fighting words. Those were fighting words. And I had to take care. We had, we, we had, we had to take care of business. But look, my point is that there's even that. So here's the, here's the interesting point. So after that, like uh, it, it became sort of a scene, right? Some guy came and grabbed me, grabbed me, like bear hugged me. And he said behind me, he was like, stop it before someone calls the police. Jeff, my friend Jeff was with me, white guy, great guy, but perhaps a little bit naive in this way. His first reaction was to try and call the police. And this guy was like, no, that's the last thing you want to call yeah, I'm going to end up getting in trouble. Not this guy. Right. right. Um, and so and, and this he's illustrates the, one who started it. the problem. He's the one who started it. You know, it's like so. So this is the thing is and this is this is where you have this like this like hiding behind, you know, uh, well, I didn't I never touched him. He's the one who punched me first, whatever, you know, but uh, you use these fighting words. Right. And and the problem is, is that these things have been dumbed down so much now to the point where even, you know, politicians are able to talk in these dog whistles or dog foghorns, you know, as the case may be, where- That's a good you know, one, I like that, yeah. I like that. I've heard that yeah. before, dog foghorns. <laughs> yeah, it is because it's so obvious. I mean, it's like- yeah, when, it's so obvious. Well, well when, when, when they say things like, you know, uh, uh, when they say states' rights, you know, I mean, this is, every, I think everybody's pretty aware of this now that if you're talking about a Southern state, you know, when they say states' rights, they are talking about taking away civil rights. They're talking about the right to deprive people of voting rights, of, of civil rights, uh, of ban abortions, all these things like that. That's what they mean when they say states' rights. So, you know, it's a, it, is a, it is a coded language right there for keeping, you know, black people, women, you know, down. And so it's, it's an insult right there. And, there's, and, and, and there are other ones, too. I mean, and, and that one was, fam- was famously uh, said by... Lee Atwater uh, talking about the Nixon administration, you know, uh, he was saying, well, we used to be able to say N-word, 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 but now we just say states' rights and, and uh, cutting taxes and cutting welfare, and uh, people know exactly what it means. And exactly. So it's all about the euphemisms. <clears throat> about those euphemisms, man. And, 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 and it's about, and like, you know, and, and it's, it's, it, it gets to the whole problem with conservatism, I think, in general, which is just that, like, because conservatism is reactionary in, in, in its nature, and it also is, um, you know, and, and it, it, so it is resistant to change by its very, very nature. And the problem is that society evolves. It always does. I mean, it sometimes devolves, but oftentimes, certainly in a liberal democracy, um, right, uh, uh, you know, conservatives and, and, and people who are oppressors in general um, uh, fail to fully grasp how much people want to be free and equal. Right. They really think yeah. that people are going to be OK bolt in their place in the hierarchy. Right. You saw mm-hmm. this in the with, with slavery where people, the, you know, the sort of happy slave narrative um, or that, you know, women are like, you know, uh, women are happy to be subservient. That's their natural state. Right. Um, th- th- and that's a very conservative perspective of being like, hey, no, people like being where they are, but they always underestimate that. No, no, no. People want to be free. And that means they're going to keep fighting for it. And that means society is going to evolve, whether you're comfortable with it or not. And so you have to then, as society evolves and you still want to say um, N-word, 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 you have to find a new way to say it, right? And still, right. And, and, and so that's well, what we see. And I think, I think that there was a, a tremendous amount of progress, you know, starting with the Civil Rights Act and going forward to the point where, you know, most people, most people prior to, uh, well, really Obama getting elected, Obama is what sort of opened this latest chapter of, of, of race conflict. And, uh, but prior to that, you know, I mean, if you look at TV shows from the seventies and eighties and films and everything else like that, you know, uh, it's a big black presence and people are treated honorably and, and, you know, and, and very normalized. And, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was really, I mean, you know, 
when I was growing up, okay, uh, there, it was it was it was a whispering campaign. It was there was not you know there was not an active. It was it was not okay to actively you know insult black people for being black. You know it was it was all a whispering campaign and the dirty jokes. Sure. Everybody knew you don't say that stuff out loud. And so what happened is with Obama coming in and then and then uh, you know there started to be this groundswell of white people who weren't happy about it. <clears throat> and then so the norms started to shift a little bit. And the things they were saying to him about being Kenyan and uh, uh, not born in the U.S., not one of us, you know, kind of thing. Exactly. And uh, they could say that uh, openly and uh, they just couldn't call him an N-word. You know, uh, exactly. but it was the same thing. They meant the same thing. Exactly. Uh, and then Trump gets in and Trump is using this language on his, during his campaign. You could already see the shift starting to happen during his campaign. Uh, you know, calling the, the specific he didn't. He didn't really go to town so much on, on, on black people. He started out with immigrants and them being rapists and criminals and that sort of thing. So it started to shift the norms where everybody's like, well, hey, this guy's running for president. If he says that, I could say it. Uh, these people don't belong here. And then um, it just kept escalating, escalating, escalating. When he won the presidency, it was kind of like, ha ha, you liberal snowflakes. We can say whatever we want now. And uh, that's when the whole free speech debate started kind of coming up again. And uh, <laughs> But this was stuff that like, the things he was saying, you could not say in any job in any corporation in America without getting fired. So, you know, that was the norm, not a law. It's not the First Amendment says that you can't be punished by the government, but it doesn't say that an employer can't fire you. And it doesn't say that if you are someone who, you know, is spouting off this stuff that you can't be, uh, you know, canceled in whatever way. This whole idea of being politically correct or cancel culture. It's like, that's all fine. You know, if somebody says those things, you can not watch their show or you can not buy their book, exactly. or you, you know? Exactly. I think that's, I think those are all really good points, Sean. And, and, and I think what, uh, what, what, it, what it brings to mind for me is, uh, you know, this idea of um, Germany, right? In Germany, it's, it's illegal to say that the Holocaust didn't exist, right? You can't just go out, right? You can't just go out and say that, right? And, 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 and like, and we can talk about where to draw that line, but in America is the exact opposite sort of approach to free speech. And, and, and I think a lot of people think in Germany that there is no free speech in Germany or that like, they're like, it's like heavy censorship, but that's not at all true. I mean, there's a, a robust free this speech. It's a very narrow area, right? Just, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, it's very, it's very narrow what you cannot say. And it's, it is specifically connected to their unique history. Um, but my point, though, is that, you know, in the United States, you really can say whatever you want. Um, you, you can, you really can just go out on a, uh, on the, on the, on the block here and just yell the N word if you'd like. But there are social consequences for that. And so, and, and that's good, right? Because like, if the government's not going to restrict um, bad, really, not just bad ideas, dangerous ideas, right? Really, just with no social value at all, right? Mm -hmm. if, that, if, not the, if that's not the government's role, and I think you brought this up, Sean, um, in our outline, um, and that is, uh, you know, the role of corporations and social norms fills that fills in that gap. And this sort of makes me think a little bit about that about the the, the open letter in Harper and in Harper's uh, that came that 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 has come to the fore in, the, in, in recent days, where a lot of very prominent uh, people, J.K. Rowling, uh, Steven Pinker, sort of like big, big names. Noam Chomsky. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, and they came out and said, like, oh, no, you know, we uh, you could probably summarize it better than I can. But the, the gist was like, we, we don't want to uh, we don't want to there to be consequences for free speech, right? We want to be able to say say whatever we want. The cancel culture is bad. The boycotting is bad. It's bad for democracy. And, and my response to that is, I, I mean, I get it. I get it. And, and and it can be over the top. It can be like on the left. There's some mm -hmm. lunatics on the left too. But at, at what? But but the are but but I don't. But those those social norms help restrain bad ideas from 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 catching fire. It's a check and balance. And I think, I mean, <clears throat> I can relate like Salman Rushdie, for example, and he comes from a culture that does not have, uh, you know, a long tradition of freedom of speech, you know, and, and, and people are regularly murdered for, you know, even renouncing Islam, right? They're exactly death penalty. Uh, you know, this, this is, so, so I, I can see where somebody like him is coming from, uh, Margaret Atwood. I mean, her whole thing, you know, the handmaid's tale was about this dystopia where, you know, all your rights are taken away. So, you know, I can see what some of these people are getting at. All right. But the problem is, is that, um, it becomes license at that point. If you know 
that there is not going to be a consequence that you can't be canceled. You know, that you're just going to be, you know, you're not going to be fired from your job. Uh, you know, all, all these things, then what's stopping you from saying anything, anything hateful. Right. And that's um, <clears throat> a part of this has to do also with um, there's this guy, you know, you're familiar with Jonathan Haidt. Yes. Jonathan Haidt started this group, uh, this organization called the Heterodox Academy. And uh, the idea it being that orthodoxy is bad, you know, having to conform to stated norms or whatever is, is a bad thing. And so we should have, uh, we, should, we, should, we should be heterodox. We should accept all viewpoints. This idea of viewpoint diversity is a, big, is a big thing there. But, you know, so what that leads to is Holocaust deniers, um, scientific racists, um, exactly. you know, people who are preaching economic doctrines that are completely false, like trickle-down economics, these guys are able to exist within the academic space in this country. And I don't, I, you know, <clears throat> again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see uh, this stuff punished by the government, but I certainly think that other academics can get together and say, no, this person is wrong. We don't want them speaking on our campus. This person is, you know, has, has published, you know, uh, you know, dozens of papers, you know, several books, you know, that are all, uh, uh, advocating, you know, things that could lead to genocide, eugenics, you know, things like that, you know, and, and say, we don't want this on our, on our campus. I, I don't see how you can run uh, uh, an academy if you don't, uh, aside from teaching things that are true and, and things that are, that, that, that are, are, are you know, I, I don't see how you can avoid saying, and this is false. You have to be willing to reject it. <laughs> You have to be willing to reject what's wrong. If somebody's going to come on, you know, wants to come teach elementary students and they have a published paper saying two plus two equals five, how the hell are you letting them teach math? You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this, I mean, and the, this like creationism, right. Is another great example. Um, right. Like, I mean, right. Because at what, and, and, and you know, and, and I am, as you know, I am not, I hate the slippery slope argument. The idea, like, I think it's lazy. I think that like the idea that you, that hmm. we can't find, like a reasonable place to, to draw the line, I think is, I think that is just a sidestepping, trying to, attempting to sidestep an important, an important issue. But, um, you know, like there has to be a point where, 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 and, and I'm, I'm now I'm just thinking about this off the cuff because this is a really sort of thorny issue without clear answers. Um, and, but like, but you know, there has to be a point in which we say like, no, 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 no. Like that's just not true. And we don't think that that like, and, and there's things that we can say that are objectively not true. I'm not talking about debatable things, everybody out there. Right, I'm, not no, talking about exactly. debatable, right? I'm not talking about things that about which reasonable people can disagree. I'm talking about things that for that are default. I mean, the, the, like Holocaust denying, right? I mean, no, no, that really did happen. And it's not just False, Sean. It's false and it's dangerous. It's dangerous because it leads to these ideas, but like, like these rekindling. We talked about American History X last week, right? Yeah. Like these these ideas get they, they they get credence and they become more mainstream, and that is bad for democracy. Well, you have the okay. The the Enlightenment basically got us out of the Dark Ages. Okay, it got us to stop listening to supernatural explanations. It got us to reject the authority of the church. It got people into scientific inquiry where it's like, if you want to, uh, if you want to say something or, you know, about reality, you have to do the experiments. You have to make the theory. You have to publish the paper. You have to go through peer review. All these things evolved over hundreds of years during the course of the enlightenment. Right. And so then all now it's the 21st century. We've, we've got 500 years of this history of all this to build on. And you've got people who want to seriously bring up stuff, dark age mentalities like the flat earth or uh, rejecting uh, the germ theory of disease, being against vaccinations, things like that. You know, they are dangerous. These are dangerous, dangerous. deadly, threatening ideologies. They're not funny. They're not, uh, it's not, we're not, we're not talking about something that is going to, we know these ideas are going to make society worse. We know they're going exactly. to basically ruin civilization because you start having people believing these things and they start to cluster together with people who believe other bogus things. Flat earthers don't just believe in the flat earth. They're, they, they, they'll believe in, you know, QAnon and they'll believe in, in, in you know, five, the 5G. They'll start burning the 5G towers. You start having the destabilization of civilization based on the allowance of these sort of dark age uh, mentalities coming in, you know. And um, so, I, I mean, Absolutely. again... I want to I want to stress again, I, like 
China just cracked down on Hong Kong. They just they just changed the law. They just took away Hong Kong's free speech. And it is horrible. And I never want to see anything like that happen. Okay, they are now uh, they're, they're able to in Hong Kong. Now they're able to arrest you based on Internet searches, based on Internet postings that you made even before the law was put into effect. You can't demonstrate in the street. They're cleaning out libraries of, of, of books. You know, it's when you take away free speech, it's a horrible thing. But it is really a double edged sword because because too much free speech can be it's, it's like, you know, it could be it could be just as bad. So, I mean, that's Absolutely. why we're talking about this. And that's why it's become such an issue. It's become such a debate. And like, and, and some of the smartest people out there, right? People, I mean, I really, Steven Pinker, I mean, come on, Steven Pinker, reading Steven Pinker's books revolutionized the way I thought about the world. Changed I mean, my life. Like, really, Steven Pinker is amazing. You know, amazing, brilliant guy, brilliant guy. But, you know, but you have, but a lot of these same sort of crowd, oh, by the way, it's Sam Harris also, right? Sam Harris. And like, I have my problem with Sam Harris, but you know, th- like these are people whose books, especially their early books were like, I mean, just eye-opening reads for me, right? Change my perspective on the planet and life itself and myself for the better. Still, these are, these are also, and it's also telling that they're frequently white people, right? Who Mm -hmm. are not going to be impacted by these sort of, sort of, uh, uh, you know, um, so uh, it's just telling that you have people like Steven Pinker who's sitting in Harvard, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, 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 and telling the children to keep their mouth shut. Um, and, and it's like, look, you have the, he has this megaphone. He's able to say whatever he wants. Um, he doesn't like being told not to say what he wants. And I get that. But, you know, but it's a really easy to sort of get in that mentality when it's like, look, you know, if, if the fucking, uh, uh, if the fascists come, right, I'm in a sort of category where I'm probably going to be okay, right, as long as, you know, um, and so I, I, I just find it uh, sort of disingenuous or uh, for sort of very powerful people, very powerful people, relatively powerful, like with big, big microphones and platforms to say, look, you, we get to say what we want you don't get to say what you would like, but, the, but your boycotts, your, uh, you know, you, all that kind of stuff. Like you can't do that though. So you're the only way that you're able to actually make it like force change. You, you, you can't do that, but don't worry. I can with my books. I find that to be disingenuous. And, 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 and frankly, like we're talking about dangerous, we could talk about Russia. We could talk about China. We could talk about these places where free speech is curtailed, but we also want to go with this dystopian, like to, to the sort of dystopian that this sort of dy- that dystopia. Clearly, we don't want that. But nipping these bad ideas in the bud, ideas that we that 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 are that undergird our entire democracy, right? Like, like uh, right. it's important. It's important, you know. Well, and that's and that's it. And, and you know, you're really talking about when you say let's get rid of cancel culture. Okay. Well, cancel culture is people. It's human beings who who are expressing exactly. their viewpoint. You know, like when I when I decide, for example, like we have to talk about J.K. Rowling because she's one of the ones who signed it. And she is a freaking hypocrite, you know, to sign that thing. Okay, I mean, because it is it is direct. Like she has just within the last few weeks, you know, uh, herself been kind of canceled. Right. So for her to get up there as if she's sort of objective and signing this letter saying that we should (laughs) get I mean, I mean, that's completely fucked. All right. I mean, it's just because, you know, she doesn't want to be held accountable. And, and that, this is a problem with anybody who gets a lot of power. I mean, she has now she has been beloved by literally billions of people. Billions of people have read her work. And she is, again, just like Steven Pinker, you know, changed a lot of lives for the better. I mean, she introduced, you know, uh, a gay character. She, you know, she Absolutely. seemed to have been been very progressive uh, uh, in, in her writing and was loved by liberals and, and, and conservatives alike. I mean, there was, a, you know, I think a few conservatives might have had a problem with the gay character, but at the, but at the same time, you know, she um, she was loved by all pretty much and then decided to put her foot in her mouth about the trans issue. And, uh, uh, you know, right. The, the reaction has was has been severe and rightfully so, because these are people who are literally fighting for the right to exist, fighting for exactly. the right to exist. And and, uh, you know, so she took uh, and, and, and I, I often I often say trauma breeds trauma. Right. And so J.K. Rowling obviously experienced some trauma, some sexual trauma in her life. And she talked about that in her statement. And I mean, sure. I would never like she has a right to, to, to you know, to, to have every bit of sympathy from everyone for that trauma. But then to turn it around, to turn that around and use that trauma 
to create trauma for millions. She has a powerful platform, very, very powerful. So millions, possibly tens of millions of, of, of transgender women are going to be impacted by what she said. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so absolutely. They, they, so all of her fans, not all, but many of her fans have just said, no, we're not okay with this. We're not going to uh, put up with this. And we're not going to put up with it. And, and, and you, you talk about accountability, Sean, like accountability. And that, and that is the key, right? Because, and, and we talk about, you know, you, you know, where, my, where that reminds me of is, is this, is Roger Stone. You know, you see him coming out oh. of, of jail with his stupid fucking hat on with that smirk on his face. And you're like, he is just, he just like, no accountability, seven felonies, seven right. felonies, right? And he just walks over the question. So again, accountability oh. is so critical here because like you say, and it's about hierarchy and it's about accountability, right? The further up the hierarchy you go, you're, the people feel less and less like they deserve to be, have to be accountable from Elon right. Musk to Kanye West to JK right. Rowling on right. and on and on. It's this idea like, no, I get to just do whatever I want because I'm rich, I'm powerful or whatever. And what the cancel culture does. Yeah, and, and what they're saying is why they hate you. it so much. They're saying, fuck you, you know? It's like, exactly. They hate it so much because it's the only way that the masses mm-hmm. can keep people in check, like powerful people in check, you know? It's the only way. And, and so, um, you know, they call it Twitter mobs, but it's like, how else does anybody else talk, right? Because freedom of speech to, to you and me, I mean, we, you know, we're, we're making this video and, you know, we have, we hope we have a lot of viewers, but, you know, the reality is, is that we don't really have a big platform. And so, right. you know, for us, this is our way to make our voice known, but collectively, right? Collectively, if we band together with a million other people who are condemning JK Rowling, that voice is heard. That voice is heard. And, and that is what cancel culture is, is accountability. And, um, and I think it's the only way to balance out, like you said, you know, these powerful people. And, and uh, you know, you look at the, 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 God, I mean, Donald Trump with his Twitter feed and he's, you know, he's literally violating Twitter's terms of service and he's violating Facebook terms of service and he gets away with it. So finally, he's, they, 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 they tag his post one time and he's ready to, he's going to sign an executive order, shut them down or, you know, regulate them or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, it's, it's what ends up happening is, is that these people, the more powerful they get, the more they seem to whine. They, 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 they feel like, you know, uh, how dare anybody, you know, exactly. my Royal Highness, my Royal Worshipfulness has spoken. Oh. How dare anybody, uh, you know, say a word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right, man. That's exactly right. And, you know, I, I say this, uh, you know, I'm just riffing a little bit now, but I, I, you know, I, before I went to school, uh, to law school and then worked at a law firm at a big law firm in New York. I never really spent time. I mean, I grew up in, in an area that was pretty affluent. I'm not that my family particularly was, but pretty affluent area uh, around some, some wealthy people, but not until I got to law school where I were around really wealthy people, right? Like, mm-hmm. like people that are like really wealthy. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's even more so in the law firm setting, because these are people that are coming you know, with like, like a private matter, not even like a company, but like a matter to pay me junior associate, like a few hundred dollars an hour or whatever, you know, and they're, and they, and they, they can come, they're comfortable paying this. So like those kind of people, the level of entitlement that you get at that level, and this, that's what I'm getting at here, um, mm-hmm. is, it's astonishing. It, 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 it's, 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 it's astonishing what people in those sort of powerful positions who have a lot, they're just so used to never being told no. They, 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 they just, no one ever tells them no. And so the only way you're able to sort of uh, confront that kind of power is through, is through masses. This is why conservatives and hierarchical uh, sort of fetishizers uh, mm-hmm. uh, are upset about uh, protests in the street. Right. They literally refer to them as the mob. Right. The mob. I mean, uh, McConnell says this all the time. Mob rule. You mean democracy? Like he he describes, describes like, what are you talking about? Like one person, one vote is mob rule. What are you fucking talking about? It's astonishing. But again, these people, their mentality is is that I get to do what I want because I have X. And again, it's all about that hierarchy, man. It's all about that hierarchy. Right. Well, so, and so that's why I think, um, you know, it's, it's very, very important that, uh, that the citizens be able to speak back to powerful people. And, um, I think one of the, the problems that happens is, is that with academia, right? You have mm-hmm. academia 
you know, some people don't think that represents citizenship because it's just a, it's a few people, it's a committee, it's a, it's a, it's, you know, a, a university provost or whatever it is who is shutting down something. Right. And sure. uh, what, what, what do you think about that? I mean, do, how, how, how should uh, academia uh, decide whether somebody gets a platform? This is a really, really interesting question. I think it's a really thorny one. And I have mixed feelings about this particular issue because, uh, you know, I think academic freedom uh, is, you know, sort of is a concept that is, uh, I, I took a course of this in law school. Academic freedom is a concept that's a very, has a robust sort of judicial, uh, jurisprudential uh, sort of uh, background. Um, that's what tenure is all about, right? The idea of being able to say what you want and not have to deal with the consequences. Same thing with uh, judicial, uh, sort of federal, federal judicial um, uh, judgeships, right? So mm-hmm. you're able to be put in this position without being worried, not having to be accountable. But the problem is you're not accountable. So the question is, so in the academic, in the, in the academic sphere, how do we address that? I think that, you know, sort of, you know, first, maybe a good way to start to get into this conversation is talk about the uh, sort of postmodernist left that sort of that that sort of like flourishing in those in those in, in, on mm-hmm. campuses, and that is one of the things I have zero tolerance for the idea yeah. that we get to make up our own reality as we go, or oh. that we just get to make up constructs as we go, uh, like that. No, the blank slate idea that we're just born basically like a blank slate and then society creates us is absurd. And I think that when you start getting, and then when you start shutting down sort of opposition to those ideas, uh-huh. I find, I do, I think that's a problem. That That, that is a problem, right? And, and, and that is a line that we can draw and say, no, 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 don't shut down, like let's not shut down dissenting voices for the sake of shutting down dissenting voices. But I think there's a distinction to be made there between that and people coming on campus and just spewing hate, right? And, right. and, 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 right. and I don't know, what do you think about well, it? Well, okay, so when Kellyanne Conway got on TV a couple days after Trump got elected and she introduced the nation to the concept of alternative facts, that was the first time I'd ever heard that term, okay? Alternative facts. I'm thinking to myself, okay, now, where have we heard this before? And where we've heard this before is the postmodern left. The postmodern left gave a gold-wrapped gift to the right wing when it comes to this stuff, right? Because so what happened is, is that the postmodern left essentially applied this to, you know, uh, uh, language, right? Uh, you know, like, like social constructivism and all of these types of, of, of issues of, you know, deconstructing language. Uh, uh, you know, deconstructing hierarchy through uh, literature, you know, all of the, there's a whole, I'm not an expert in this. I I studied engineering with a minor in political science. So I, I, but I know there's a whole academic discipline of postmodern thought, you know, uh, that, that has sought to break down, um, you know, uh, uh, specifically hierarchy of Western scholarship. Right. Um, But it has gone overboard. And I understand that there's a need to break down hierarchy. I understand there's a need, there's a need to look at, you know, uh, colonialism within, you know, within academia and the way that people of color have been treated and marginalized. Women have been marginalized. Um, all of those things are all very true. But to me, you don't need to create an alternative reality, you know, of postmodernism where nothing has any meaning, where all meaning is created subjectively, exactly. right? You don't need to do that because you open the door then for a political nightmare where suddenly um, the, you know, the entire right wing is, is doing this about reality. So now we have, you know, climate change. Yeah. Now. We have COVID can't be, can't be, you know, dealt with. Nothing is real anymore when you're on the right. It's whatever, it's whatever your, your, the leader says it is, you know, it becomes a total cult. So. Um, Absolutely. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, but you know what, but, but you know what, like, but, but here, but here's, but you know, and, and again, this gets to my, I keep coming back to the slippery slope argument because the argument always is that, look, if we, if we do this, then if we restrict this, then, uh, then that's, then we, then next time, next thing you know, they're going to want to restrict that. And I think that, and, and I think it's kind of applies here. I think we can find a way to draw the line. And I think you would draw the line by you basically tie it to facts right so for so example so like so and and i know that is slippery because of the alternative fact idea which is absurd but 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 
you know, what you were talking oh. about is so true is that if we're going to do this on the left, they're going to, they're doing this on the right. So, if, so, so, so if we create, we, if we create the safe space for being able to make up facts as you go along, then, 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 then they're going to do that. And they're going to do that. And, and they're going to turn that as they have, they're going to turn that fire hose right back on us. So what we have to do is try and find a way to anchor, anchor discussions about restricting speech in things that are true. So you don't get to come on a campus and just, and, 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 and deny the Holocaust, you know, right. right? The provost says, we can all agree on that. Not doing that. We can all agree on that. What about biology though? What about sociobiology? Because that was one of Steven Pinker's beefs is that a lot of, a lot of the, a lot of the basis of evolutionary psychology is that, you know, the mind evolved just like the body evolved. So there are certain natural human tendencies that are cross-cultural and uh, some of those tendencies are things that the left really doesn't like. You know, and uh, exactly. so, so there have been a number of evolutionary uh, biologists who've been prevented from speaking on campus because they were uh, discussing things that, you know, were uncomfortable for the left. And so, you know, I, I think that that's a lot of where I think that's why Steven Pinker signed the document, you know, um, and that's why a number of people have signed the doc because they're because they're very concerned that there are things that the left doesn't want to look at, you know, but I, I find that. Um, I find that those things are kind of, they're kind of tempest in a teapot really compared to the big issues that of, of the way that the right has distorted facts, you know, and the way Absolutely. that they're because, because they will take those same uh, uh, sociobiology, evolutionary psychology, whatever ideas and turn them into scientific racism and eugenics. Right. Absolutely. So, and, and that, and that is the slippery slope that the, that, that, that the left does not want to slide down. Right. That's why no one wants to, talk about human nature as a biological reality, right? right. Um, because then because then people are like, well, if you do that, then people are going to tar- start talking about, we're um, going to start talking about eugenics and they'll start talking about social Darwinism and blah, 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 right? And, right. And, and, I, and I very much understand that argument, but, but, but you know, but this, but, and this gets back to my, 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 my point. It's like, but evolutionary psychology has a basis, has scientific basis though. Right. Yes, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Like where, well, where, and where we can, can so like, you know, we, ahead, we, can ahead, allow, we can allow that there is a bell curve um, in various traits in human in humans, sure. in intelligence and everything else. We can make we can allow that um, a right winger is going to say, well, that justifies eugenics. I'm going to say the hell it does. No, it you doesn't. Know, it does not. You know, so <laughs> definitely why doesn't. not? You know, why not have that conversation on campus? Right. Why not have that mm-hmm. conversation to say, Hey, you know, these things need to be discussed. It doesn't mean we want to have eugenics. It means we want to have actually more support for the disadvantaged, right? Absolutely. So, I mean, like, how about the achievement gap, right? Like we talk about the achievement gap, right? Like, but people don't want to talk about the fact that overall, right, uh, uh, black people don't make as right. Obviously, the achievement gap is there, but like, don't do well, don't do as well in school. Don't like, but like, right? There's a whole lot of different things, and also we can also talk about the fact that literally. And this is, and this is, this is going to really piss off liberals here, but, and I'm just, I'm not, but like, you know, the idea that, look, I mean, if you, right, this is the way biology works, right? Like if two people that are not particularly intelligent have a child, the odds are you're going to have a child that is not that intelligent. I'm not saying that there's not outliers. There's all kinds of factors that go in, that go into that, a million, right. like right, nature, nurture, the whole shebang. But the point is that biology matters. And so, so, so if we talk about the fact that black people have been un, undereducated, underprivileged for 400 years, 400 years, I mean, for, right, for all of American history, yeah. right? The odds are that a bunch of uneducated people getting, marrying each other are going to end up over time having people with less achievement. Like, and, and that's an uncomfortable thing for liberals to think about, but like, it's just the fact, the point, but that's a, but, but, it, but, it's, but it's something inherent to black people. I mean, you can swear, you can swap white people in there. The bell curves kind of go like, there's a slight skewing of the bell curve, maybe one way or the other, but there's much more difference within races than there is between races, right? Exactly. So, exactly. So it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to lead to a dystopia. It doesn't have to lead no, to saying we're going to force sterilization now, you know, it's like, and that's, that's <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. All of a sudden now we're like forced stabilization. Like, like, no, we're just talking about facts. Right. And, 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 and right. And like, and we shouldn't be afraid to talk about facts. Like, like you say, that's what Steven Pinker was. That's why Steven Pinker, you, you and I know Steven Pinker's work a lot. So, yeah. you know, he 
he he harps on this stuff all the time. I mean, the entire book, The Blank Slate, is basically this argument, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Excellent book, by the way, out there. Read it. Um, yeah. But uh, but but we can talk about like like we shouldn't be afraid to talk about difficult topics. But I but I don't think that it follows that it should, we should just, that free speech should just be a free for all because then the loud voices are going to who the loudest voices are going to be the bigotry on the right. That's what's going to happen always. Well, and and this is this is what the this this letter uh, has conflated. Okay, um, the sort of suppression of valid academics, okay, that occurs with um, the very righteous and correct response toward hate speech. Exact. Wow. You just nailed it, dude. That was it. That's it. That's exactly right. That, that statement basically cons- like is, is that encapsulates the whole thing. Yeah. So, I mean, what do we do? The, the, the thing is, is that my, 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 um, my initial reaction to this letter is to be kind of upset about it, to be pretty outraged about it because I feel like it's going to lead to yet more shouting down of people who are coming up with, you know, righteous criticism. And, Absolutely. and so, you know, I think this letter was not a good thing, but at the same time, I, you know, I wish there was a way to do what, you know, Jonathan Haidt, uh, Steven Pinker, and these, the, you know, these, these people want to do without enabling people like JK Rowling or, exactly. or, 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 or Tucker Carlson for that matter, or exactly. Kevin Spacey or any of these other people who've been, you know, canceled. For, for, for cause, for real cause, you know? I wish Tucker Carlson would get canceled for fuck's sake. Oh my God, I hope, I can't wait for the day he does, he finally says something that's too far. I really hope <laughs> he does. I think he's gonna keep pushing the envelope. That's the thing about right-wing like propaganda and hate like that. Like, like, it, like it, the more you oh, yeah. people, but then you have to keep upping the ante to make it more sexy. It's like doing a drug, you know? You have to do yeah. more and more and more of it. So eventually you're gonna say something that's just so over the top that you're just gonna, you're, I hope so. I hope so. Well, you know, the thing is, is that his head writer, who basically, you know, probably puts, puts pretty much of, uh, of every, almost every word he says into his mouth. You know I mean? He's like, he's to Tucker Carlson the way Stephen Miller is to Trump, right? So exactly. you know, exactly. like, Tucker Carlson doesn't open his mouth without this writer. But and it turns out that this writer had been, uh, had been hate posting and shit posting uh, for, for, you know, a year, 18 months. I don't know. You know, there was harassment of a woman. There was, there was uh, racist and sexist language. And so he had to resign, like just in the last couple of days. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, that guy had to resign. But what Tucker Carlson is saying every day is the same thing. Exactly. It's the same thing. It's just just put into words. I mean, Tucker Carlson talks about, you know, Black Lives Matter when they come for you, when they come for you. Right. I mean, they're all they're trying to do is say, don't kill us. Don't don't kill us when we're innocent of a crime. Don't kill us without a trial. Like, exactly. and, and, and Tucker turns that around into being some sort of Nazi mob. I mean, it's, it's, it's literally, it couldn't be more 180 degrees from what's really going on. And that, that is, that is very harmful to our, to our civilization. It sure is. It sure is. It sure is. I mean, I, I mean, we, yeah, we, we didn't talk at all about the, uh, the Rushmore speech, um, the Mount Rushmore oh. speech, but what a fucking, I mean, it was just the, 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 the American Carnage speech part two. But one of the things that he says in that was, um, you know, uh, left wing fascism. Uh, right. Like, like, what does that even mean? It's like that's square that's, circles. It's an oxymoron. Mean anything. It's a complete <laughs> total oxymoron. I mean, and, and <laughs> what they mean, what they mean by that is the same thing that they're meaning with cancel culture. Exactly. Essentially is like, is like, we don't want you to be able to talk back to us. Exactly, dude. That and that's exactly it. That's exactly it. it's like with like a couple of things that we keep coming back to is account, lack of accountability and hierarchy, which is basically like if I'm on top of the hierarchy, I don't owe anybody anything. And by the way, that's the same thing when we see with the masks. We talked about masks last week, last time, and it's the same idea. It's like I don't owe it to anybody to wear a mask, right? I should my rights. Trump everyone else's, no pun intended, Trump everyone else's, and mm-hmm. I shouldn't have to wear a mask because I don't, I don't owe anybody anything is the idea, right? Um, and, and it's wrong because we live in a society and we, and we must owe each other basic courtesy or else our society literally falls apart. Um, but it's also just dangerous, right? Because, uh, I mean, fit, like coronavirus is literally dangerous, but this whole idea of, <clears throat> of, of, of unaccountability uh, uh, like it is anti, it's anti-democracy. It is anti-democracy. It is anti-rule of law. There must be accountability, either social accountability, 
right? Cancel whatever boycotts uh, or just ostracizing, right? Um, and or on the other hand, a government inter intervention. Well, there, there is some precedent in the law, you know, for if you yell fire in a crowded theater and there's a stampede and people get hurt, you can be held liable. I don't, what's the law? What's the tort there? What's, what, what, what's the crime when you yell fire in a crowded theater? That's a great question. I, I'm sure that I bet you every state has its own sort of uh, version of it, but I'm sure like just it like, I mean, it, it's probably akin to an incitement to violence. Right? Incitement I mean, to violence or disturbing the know, peace, um, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever it is, but it, it's, it's anyway, it's a crime. And I kind of feel, I mean, I feel very strongly actually that um, advocating not wearing masks or advocating not being vaccinated is dangerous in the very exact same way. I mean, you are killing people. If you convince exactly. someone not to get vaccinated, right, and enough people do that, then you will be lead to, you, there will be an outbreak. And this has happened with measles. Absolutely. It's happened with, you know, with, with uh, uh, pertussis. I mean, there was an outbreak. This is an interesting story is that when my uh, middle son was born, uh, uh, he was two weeks old and, he, and, and, and there was a pertussis outbreak in the school we were. And um, it turned out that a lot of parents there had not been vaccinated. And uh, so I had to put my little baby two week old son onto intravenous antibiotics that were very risky for him. Jeez. Very risky. Right. Because the doctor said if he catches pertussis at two weeks, he'll die. So, you know, this is this is this is a direct experience that I have had with this anti-vaccine. Right. right. And so right. this was an idea. This is this idea of of, of uh, anti-vax spread through the community that we were in. And any number of parents thought, well, I'm not going to vaccinate my kid because I'm not sure. And then they endangered all the children. And as soon as that, when that was all over with, I mean, my son was fine. But when that was all over with, they all had to get vaccinated. You know, wow. they, they were all, you know, uh, uh, they all had to get vaccinated. So my point is, is the idea itself is dangerous. It's deadly. You can kill people. Exactly. And the same thing with, 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 with the, the mass protests. If you're out there making fun of people for wearing masks, or if you're out there protesting for the right not to wear a mask, you're literally protesting for the right to kill people. Absolutely. You know what? You know what? This this brings to mind uh, an important concept in in um, in uh, First Amendment law, um, particularly with the right to assemble, which is a reasonable time, manner, uh, time, place, and manner restrictions that that can mm -hmm. be that government can place on the way you do things. So yes, you have the right to uh, to assemble. You do not have a First Amendment right to uh, say block a highway. People do it because it's civil. That's what makes it civil disobedience, right? right. Because you're mm. because you're actually flouting the law on purpose to make a yeah. point. But 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 the government has a right to restrict, right? That's why when you go to a protest, right, there's a little specific space for you to protest, right? right. Like, you can protest. Yeah. Right? You can't. Yeah, right. So, so the point is, is that like none of these freedoms, and we've talked about this, and and, and you've talked about this a lot, I think, Sean. And that is, none of these rights are absolute. None of them are. And, 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 and this is the same thing with the Second Amendment, right? It's not, you, you, you can't own a tank, right? You, you can't right. own a fighter jet. No matter how much money you have, you cannot own a fighter jet, right? You just right. cannot. And, and, and those are rules that we make to protect society. So why can't we also do this with speech? Well, this is the thing. If you can restrict, like one of the fundamental four freedoms in the First Amendment is, uh, you know, is, is freedom of religion. Another one's freedom of assembly. Well, sure. the government in a pandemic can tell churches they cannot have a service. Exactly. That is something the government can do. It's been upheld by the courts. Yeah. And uh, you, know, you can do that. So why not in a pandemic, can you, why can you not tell people that they're not allowed to protest masks? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Or, or right, right, right. It, it, or and, vaccination. And, and, or vaccinations. Or vaccinations. Or vaccinations. Right. And, and people, and, uh, you know, uh, in... <laughs> Right. And, and these same people are people that are advocating for the government to, to, to be able to keep women from getting abortions, which is the irony of all. Of this, right. 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 You know, right. I mean, you're just like, well, you know what I mean? Like, what do you like? What? So wait. So where do you draw the line? You don't want you. Like, is, you're upset because the government's forcing you to put on a mask, but you're upset. But you are perfectly OK with the government literally telling, telling a woman that she cannot do what she wants to do with her own physical body. Um, wow. Wow. No. And this is well, this is this the whole thing is and this is, you know, kind of wrap it up. I think we're getting close to our time now, but um, sure. the free speech, I mean, it's, it's endless. We, 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 we touched on so many different areas today and I'm so glad, you know, all of, of all the points that you brought up because it's just, it just demonstrates how difficult it really is to uh, come to some sort of a, of a, a reasonable accommodation where you can, you know, you can allow uh, to, for a free society, but you can prevent the harm. I mean, and, and I think it's something we have to have an ongoing conversation about because the unrestricted 
First Amendment would be like allowing people to own tanks. Exactly. It's the same idea. It's the same idea. It is dangerous. There's a reason why we have rules. We live in a society. Our freedoms are necessarily curtailed to some extent. It's just a debate about how we curtail them. That's all. And, my, and what I propose, and I think what we're proposing here, is that it ought to be based on a harm principle. That's harm. the bottom line, right? It's, 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 a, it's a balancing test. You figure out uh, like a utilitarian balancing test, essentially, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and, and things like advocating, um, advocating violence, advocating not wearing masks, whatever else, end up being literally way more harm than good, way more harm. Yes, it does curtail people's freedom, and that is somewhat in some sense bad, but the outcome, the outcome it be, it be, it's obvious. It's obvious, and I'll let you, I'll let you talk us off. Well, all of society is a trade-off. Everything, everything we do in society is a trade-off between rights and freedoms. And I think that that's, you know, something that any, you know, that your, your most basic law class is going to, in your intro lecture is going to say that, you know, and, and also ethical um, goals conflict with one another, you know, uh, and you're going to have some people who, you know, these, 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 like a religious person might feel very, very put upon if the government says, and as a matter of fact, some of them did, they, they actually sued the government in many cases you know, to be able to keep meeting. And then they did. And then the ones who were allowed to keep meeting lost members of their congregation, sadly. You know? yep. So yep. that's, that's really the, the, the end of the story. And that's the last thing that I, you know, really want to say is, is just that, you know, everything is a trade-off. And if we don't make those trade-offs, by default, we'll have a worse outcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and um, just, I'll just, I guess, close, close out by just saying like, you know, it's, it's it, just agreeing with you. Uh, you know, I'm glad we had this talk, Sean, because, you know, this is such a thorny issue and it's kind of, we're bumping up against a big American taboo, right? And so yeah. we like, uh, hopefully we've, 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 we've stimulated some thought, upset some people, but hopefully they'll come back. But I think that, um, but, but, I, but I really enjoyed the conversation, Sean. I think this is, a, this again, a, an ongoing dialogue we, like we should have with each other and that, that we have to have in this country. And, um, just uh, thank you. Thank you for being here. I'm, thank you, everyone out there, for, for, uh, for watching. And um, we'll see you next time. Yeah, thank you, Christoph. It's been great. You've been listening to The Radical Secular, a podcast dedicated to the separation of church and state. For full video episodes, please subscribe to our YouTube channel.